Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Pilgrim's Progress, a study in the books of First and Second Peter. Here's Pastor Nick. A lot of Christians in the early church who were women who were married to men who were not believers, who were not Christians. They were married to men who didn't share their faith. So these women had heard the gospel. They had responded. They had put their faith in Jesus. They were pursuing him and walking with him, but their husbands did not join them in doing that. And they, their husbands might have said something like, hey, look, if you want to do that, fine, you know, I, I don't care, go for it, but I'm not interested, so I'm not going to join you. Now, this was a pretty common and widespread thing, apparently, in the early church. We know that because Paul the Apostle also talks about this issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He addresses women who are married to men who are not believers. And so, uh, this was obviously a widespread issue for Christians at the time, and it is also a widespread uh, issue for many Christians in our time as well. People who want to follow Jesus, but their spouse is not on the same page with them, not walking with them in the same way. Maybe some of you, that's your situation, that you're here today. You're married to someone who doesn't share your desire to actively walk with God. Maybe it was after you got married that you really responded to the gospel and, and embraced the gospel and started following Jesus, and your spouse was like, hey, no, I've, I'm not interested. Or maybe you started out in marriage walking together down the same path, wanting the same things, wanting to pursue God together, but at some point, something changed for your spouse, and your spouse is no longer interested, no longer active. Maybe they no longer even believe. That's a difficult situation, and if that's you, I just want to address you right now and say this. Let me say that we honor you. We honor you for the difficulty that you face in that situation every day, and we pray for you. I pray for you that God would give you strength to walk with him and to not get discouraged as you face that challenge. But when we talk about marriage, you know, this can be a very touchy subject, right? Because there are so many of us who are in a situation that is not like this ideal picture of marriage. And let me just say from the outset, there are no perfect marriages because there are no perfect people. Marriage is always messy. Every marriage is messy. And maybe there's some of you, you've been uh, divorced. Maybe you're separated at the moment. Maybe your spouse isn't here right now because they're not walking with God. Wherever you're at in this regard, let me just say this. We're not here to shame you at all. We're not here to make you feel bad about your past. What we're here to do, we're here to fight for your future, okay? And so I love what Peter does here. That's what he does with these women. He says, you know what? what however you end up in the situation, we're here to fight for your future. And here's what he does. He gives them a strategy for evangelism. He says, you who have come to know Jesus, here's how you can be part. Here's how you can actively be part of winning over your husband for the Lord and for the gospel. See, women who were in this situation would have had a lot of difficult questions that they were dealing with. We see that like in Paul's letters as well. They were wondering things like, now that I'm a Christian and my spouse isn't a Christian, should I leave my spouse? Should I get a divorce and marry somebody who is a Christian? Or, you know, now that I'm a believer and my husband isn't a believer, does that make me now superior to him in some way? Like, I should be the one taking charge and telling him what to do and calling the shots and not taking any directions from him? Because what does he know? He's not even a Christian. And Peter says, no, no, don't do that. Rather, 
Win them over, not by shouting them down and lecturing them to death. Win them over with your conduct, he says. See, let them see that becoming a Christian was the best thing that ever happened to you. Make them say, I am so glad that you started following Jesus. Because ever since you started doing this Jesus stuff, you've changed in in a good way. So let them see that following Jesus makes you a better spouse. Why? So that hopefully that will create an openness in their heart to the gospel. See, I don't think this strategy for evangelism is unique or or specific or limited only to wives or even only to marriages. I think that what Peter's been telling us throughout this letter is, you know, here it's the immediate context, but throughout this letter, Peter's been telling us, it's one of his major themes, is he's encouraging us to live beautiful lives that attract people to Jesus as opposed to living ugly lives that repel people from Jesus. And we're called to do that in every context that we find ourselves in. But let me ask you this, how do we do that? How do we live beautiful lives that attract people to Jesus? Do we just fake it till we make it, right? Like put on a show, pretend it's that way, even if it's not until it's maybe hopefully someday is, right? Do we just pretend to be nicer, put on a smiley face, put on a mask, put up a facade so that people think we're better than we actually are? Well, that would be hypocrisy, wouldn't it? So what are we supposed to do? How do we live beautiful lives? Well, Peter tells us here in verses three through six, he tells us, here's how, by cultivating inner beauty, cultivating inner beauty. See, external beauty fades. You remember a few months ago when everybody was downloading that app that would like make you look like 30 years older? I was always worried when like my older friends would take it. I'm like, I don't know, bro, maybe don't even touch that app. Like if you're 70, like because what it's going to tell you is is really going to be discouraging. But the point is that it was discouraging for all of us, right? Like we look at this app and we're like, oh, so that's what I'm going to look like in 30 years. Um, But guess what, guys? That's kind of like reality, right? Like that's coming. Like that train is rolling down the tracks and there's no way to stop it. There's no brakes on that train. There's not enough supplements out there to stop that from happening. So what you need to do is cultivate an inner beauty that doesn't fade. See, Peter isn't saying that we shouldn't care about how we look outwardly, right? He's not saying just stop showering and stop washing your hair and just look trashy all the time. No, he's saying... As much as you care about your outward appearance, as much energy as you put into exercise and making yourself look good and picking out your clothes and etc., give even more attention. How much more important is it for you to give attention to developing that inner person of the heart, the hidden person, he calls it, of the heart, developing the kind of spirit that is pleasing to God? See, that's where true beauty lies. That's where true beauty lies. And that kind of beauty is unfading. It can actually increase with time, whereas every other kind of beauty here on earth decreases with time. You know, what is beauty? As I said, beauty, according to the Bible, is not only skin deep. Beauty is when you look at something or you hear something and it resonates with your heart and your mind and your soul and you say, that's right, that's good. There's something about that that I want. We're attracted to things that are beautiful. It's built into us. And so where do we get that standard though? Where does that standard of beauty come from? Well, it's built into us, why? Because we're created by God and we're created for God. And so when you think about inner beauty, the kind of beauty that grows over time, those characteristics that are beautiful on the inside, those are all of the characteristics that we see personified in Jesus. We see those personified in Jesus. Love, humility, grace, strength, 
mercy, generosity. We see all those things in Jesus. And so how do we cultivate those things in our lives so we can become more like him? Well, there's a simple principle, and here's what it is. You will become like what you behold. You become like what you behold. You become like what you behold. Think about it. If you are obsessed with money, right, spend all your time thinking about how to get more money, here's what happens. You become that kind of person, a greedy, stingy person. If you're obsessed with power, you become a harsh, demanding person. If you're obsessed with other people's approval of you, then you become anxious and fearful. If you're obsessed with success, then you become busy and restless. But if you fix your eyes upon Jesus, if you become obsessed with him, if you purposefully focus your attention on him and set your gaze upon him, then what kind of person will you become? You become like what you behold. The Bible even tells us this in first, or sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says this, that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed from glory into greater glory into the same image. So the way that we cultivate beauty in us is by beholding Jesus, by setting him always before our eyes. That's what the psalmist said. He says, I have set the Lord always before my eyes. We behold him in his word. We behold him together in community because somebody else is going to see him in a little bit different way that you need to see him, a different perspective. See, we cultivate inner beauty by beholding the Lord, fixing our gaze upon him. And as we do that, we will become more and more like him. Hey, Pastor Nick here. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. I've written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, I deal directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, or whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities? Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there actual proof that God exists and that the Bible is trustworthy? I address these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or who has concerns about these topics. And it's a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. And to celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as a gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. So the next point, he gives us the final point here, a plan for a thriving marriage, a plan for a thriving marriage. As God designed marriage, God also knows how marriage is designed to work best. Peter lays out three principles for a thriving marriage, three practical guidelines, and here's what they are. Submit, serve, and study. Submit, serve, and study. And for each of these, well, you can write down next to it as you take your notes, right? You can write, submit to Jesus and your spouse. Submit to Jesus and your spouse. Serve Jesus and your spouse. Study Jesus and your spouse. Because the foundation of each of these things is that you do them unto the Lord first and foremost, and then out of the outflow of that, you do it also unto your spouse. 
Here's why. Because God's design for marriage is for your spouse to complement you, not to complete you. Do you know that? God's design is for your spouse to complement you, not to complete you. See, only God can complete you. Only he can make you whole. Only he can fill that void in your soul. And here's the other thing. If you are in Christ, then whatever stage in life you are at, whether you're married or not married or wherever you're at, you are complete in him. He completes you. See, our culture paints this picture that there's somebody out there who exists to complete you, to fill up what is lacking in your soul, right? And so what happens is two sinful people come together and they're like desperate people saying, complete me, fulfill me, sustain me, right? And they come to each other expecting the other one to complete them. But what that does, it leads to unfair expectations. It leads to disappointments and it leads to frustrations, So no other person has what you need. That's the facts. No other person has what you need to complete you. That is only found in God. Your spouse can complement you, but they won't complete you. See, we don't only do this with marriage, though, right? We do this with a lot of things. I've seen a lot of people do it with children. They have this child. Now this child exists to complete me, to make up what is lacking in my soul. We do it with friendships. We do it with jobs. We look at that person. We silently say, you exist for me to complete me. Your job is to fulfill what is lacking in me. And that is a huge burden, guys. That is a huge burden to place on the shoulders of a child or on the shoulders of a friend or on the shoulders of a spouse. And they will never be able to live up to it. See, instead, we look to Jesus to complete us, and in each of these areas, this is the outflow of it. It begins first and foremost primarily with that relationship with God, so we submit to Jesus and to your spouse. Just as Jesus submitted to the will of the Father, Peter calls wives to submit to their husbands. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Because if we were to take this one verse just on its own, by itself, isolate it, we might say, and some people might say, and perhaps rightly so, that what this does is it takes all the decision-making power away from women and gives it to men, which some people might say is not only unfair and wrong, it's even dangerous. It creates a system in which women are less valued, their opinions matter less, they're essentially put at the mercy of men. And some people would say, see, this is the problem with the Bible. This is the problem with people trying to live their lives based on this old book, that the Bible is archaic and it's misogynistic and it subjugates women. Just hang on a second, okay? Before you go there. Because here's the thing. This isn't the only verse about subjection or, or submission in the Bible. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say on the topic of submission. Let me, let me just share some of it with you, and hopefully that, that will give us a different way of looking at this. See, the Bible teaches that, is that submission is the general posture. It's the base posture of all Christians all the time. It's the base posture that we always take all the time. The Greek word we looked at this last week when we talked about this subject in regard to authority, right? It's translated hupatasso, that word submission in Greek. It's translated, or it's the original word that's translated submission is the word hupatasso, which is a military term for ranking yourself underneath 
somebody else, aligning yourself, putting yourself underneath somebody else. So the posture, think about it in these terms, it's very you know, vivid. The posture of hupatasso is this posture of rather than trying to position yourself above or over other people, right? In which case you push them down so that you can get on top of them and be over them and stand a little higher. As Christians, we don't do that. As Christians, our posture is we seek to get underneath people so that we can lift them up. So we can lift them up. See, this is what Jesus told his disciples about leadership. He said, you know, the rulers of this world like to lord it over people and domineer over them, but it will not be so amongst you. Instead, in my kingdom, the greatest person will be the one who serves others. It was a whole new paradigm of greatness and a whole new paradigm of leadership. And it was one that Jesus modeled himself at the Last Supper, his last meal before he was executed. He took the role of a servant. He put a towel around his own waist and he washed his disciples' feet and he told them, as I have done for you, now I want you to do for each other. See, what Jesus modeled to all of us, what Jesus modeled to his disciples and told them to follow in his footsteps was this idea of hupatasso, this idea of submission, taking the role of a servant, not trying to position yourself above other people to stand on top of them to make yourself look greater, but the posture of getting underneath people and lifting them up. And that's what Jesus did for us, right? And throughout the Old Testament, we are called to do that as we relate to other people. In Philippians chapter two, Paul says, let this same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, in which he humbly, he humbled himself and he counted others as more significant than himself. And he said, just as Jesus emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, even going to the cross, now you do that in relation to how you relate to other people. It was through humbling himself that Jesus showed preference to us. That was how he saved us And it was how he ultimately received greater glory. And the point is this, the way to greater glory, the way to greater joy is not by pushing other people down and getting over them, but it's by getting under them and lifting them up. It's by submission, hupatasso, right? Aligning yourself under people. See, submitting is the basic posture that we as Christians are called to take In every area of life, submitting ourselves to God, submitting ourselves to authorities, and submitting ourselves to one another. See, in Ephesians 5.21, what does he say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So our general posture that we begin with is this posture of showing preference to one another. But here's the thing. If a husband and wife are a team, and they're both giving preference to one another, both trying to outdo each other and showing honor, what's that going to look like? Well, it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be two people almost like competing with each other to get underneath the other one and lift them up and reveal what's in the other one's heart and and help them go forward and be better and move forward, right? And each of them will be looking for ways to serve the other one and showing preference to the other one. They'll be trying to outdo each other and showing honor. And when it comes to decision-making, it won't be a dictatorship. It'll be a team effort. But here's the thing. In a team of two, well... If we each get one vote, what if there's a situation in which it's a tie? Like it's a cat's game, right? Then what are we going to do? Well, somebody's got to be the tiebreaker. And so in a situation like that, the husband should, number one, check his heart and make sure that his motives are pure before God. And then secondly, prayerfully and humbly before God, exercise that tie-breaking vote. You know, I've been married to my wife, Rosemary, now for 15 years. And I can think of 
a handful of times, less than I can count on one hand, um, in which we have lived this out in our lives, right? Where there's been a, a tie-breaking vote, so to say. And I will say it was a, a beautiful and a solemn thing. I remember one big decision we made in particular where Rosemary told me, you know what, like, look, I, I'm not sure about this thing, but if you believe that this is where God is leading us, then you make the decision and I'll go with it wholeheartedly. And, and we had been discussing this thing, we've been praying about it, and it was a hard decision. And she asked me, to make the final decision, which was a heavy weight of responsibility to bear. And I made that decision, and we locked arms, and we moved forward together and never looked back. See, we've lived this out in our own lives, and it's been beautiful. See, Peter points to Sarah. I love this as an example. I love that he points to Sarah as an example. Here's why. Because we always think of Abraham as being this, like, great hero of the faith. But Peter's like, no, you know who had a lot of faith was Sarah, right? Like, her husband shows up one day, and he's like, hey, God told me that we're supposed to move. And she's like, where to? And he's like, I don't know. I guess we're just going to find out when we get there. And she's like... Okay, right? Like, let's go. Like, that takes a lot of faith. Sarah never heard from God. Do you ever think about that? Sarah didn't hear from God. She went along, though, trusting that God would take care of her, even if her husband was off his rocker, even if he was crazy. And Peter says that is what it looks like to entrust your life over to God, right? Sarah's spirit of faith and entrusting her life fully over to God. So the second thing, serve Jesus and serve your spouse. In verse 7, he tells husbands to show their wives honor or respect. He says treat them as a partner. He calls them co-heirs of the grace of life. You're partners in seeking God and living this life. So serve God and serve each other, particularly husbands. He says, serve your wives, treat them as partners. And I love that he ends this with like a threat. He's like, men need uh, just one simple verse, tells them what to do with a threat at the end. And if you don't do it, here's what's going to happen. God's not going to listen to your prayers. And they're like, really? See, sometimes people ask me, why isn't God listening to my prayers? Well, one reason might be because God has already told you what he wants you to do, and he's waiting for you to do that. And maybe do that and then come back for more. Do that thing he's already told you to do. In this case, serve your wife, honor her, treat her well, lest your prayers be hindered. And finally, this last one, study. Study Jesus and study your spouse. Peter says in verse seven, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. So study your spouse, get to know them, get to understand their needs, get to understand their hopes and their dreams and their desires. That takes time and it requires interest, right? It requires effort. It requires you becoming a student of them. See, what Peter's saying here, when he says that the woman is a weaker vessel, he's referring to physical strength. But there's an interesting point that this brings up that we should, we should make here, and that's this. You and your spouse are going to have different strengths and weaknesses. Man is usually stronger physically, but the woman will have other strengths. And it's like asking a question, you know, hey, which is the better car? like an F-150 or a Ferrari? Well, it kind of depends what you need to do. It's kind of hard to say one's better than the other. If you need to haul a ton of lumber, well, then you want the F-150. But if you need to race to California, then you want the Ferrari, right? Like, it depends what you're doing. They both have strengths and they both have weaknesses. And But the thing is, when you bring those two together, the Ferrari and the F-150, and guess what? You've got a powerful team. You can haul bricks and you can race across the country on the highway, right? And so in your marriage, study each 
other, get to know each other's strengths and weaknesses, not to exploit those weaknesses, uh, but to help your spouse and complement them in the areas where they need strength so that you can be stronger together. And finally, just in conclusion, as we do these things, remember this, marriage is designed by God to point you back to him, to point you back to him. As you serve your spouse, let it remind you of Jesus who served you. As you show preference to one another, let it remind you of Jesus who submitted to the Father and gave preference to you. And as we talk about marriage, we remember that all these things are just a foreshadowing. They're a foreshadowing of what is to come. We will be united to God finally and ultimately forever at the great wedding feast of the Lamb, and we will experience unfading beauty forever. And we look forward to that day, and as we do, may we look to him because it is only by his power that we can live any of these things out. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you give us instruction. We thank you, Lord, that you have modeled for us what servant leadership, what acts of loving service look like, what it looks like to submit your life to God and to submit to the Father. Lord, help us that we would submit to you, God, and to one another. Lord, help us that we would serve you, God, and one another. Help us that we would become students of each other, Lord, that we might love each other better and bring honor and glory to you. Lord, help us by your strength, by your spirit within us to live these things out for your glory and for our greater joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.